followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Erica. We are in a sermon series. Um, it's called Why Follow Jesus? And um, that's a question worth asking for all of us. It's one of the main questions that the Gospels were actually written to answer, the why question. And there's a special focus in the section we're currently walking through, Matthew chapters 8 through 12. There's a special focus in these chapters on answering that question. Every follower of Jesus, every Christian, needs to answer the why question, not just a one-time thing in our lives. This is something we come back to again and again, because there will be many moments in our lives for followers of Jesus when Jesus will lead us to decisions, He'll lead us into choices and beliefs that are against our own preferences, that are different than our own desires and our convictions. And when this happens and it's Jesus' way or it's my way, we need an answer to the why question. Also, everyone who is not a follower of Jesus, and if that's you this morning, we're so glad that you are here and that you are open to listening and learning more about who Jesus is. I think everyone who's not a follower of Jesus should at some point in their life devote at least a season to serious investigation to the question of why follow Jesus. Jesus has followers from every cultural background, every type of person you can imagine across time um, and across culture, really more than anyone else in history. So it's worth asking, why is that? And in an open-minded way, asking ourselves, yourself, why should I consider following Him? That's the series. Now, this morning, the story that we just heard Erica read to us from Matthew 8, 23 through 27. There are three things in this story that every follower of Jesus needs to know and come back to. And every person who's exploring or questioning Christianity also needs to know. There's, there's three things. A challenging truth. That there's a comforting promise. And there's a central question. We'll look at those three things this morning. First, a challenging truth, but let's, let's recap, let's get our bearings. Where are we here in the story of the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew 8.1, if you have your Bibles, you can track along with me. Jesus came down from the mountain where he gave his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. People were amazed at what he had to say, and they started flocking to him as an incredible teacher. So it says, large crowds began to follow after Jesus. Right after this, he begins healing the outcasts. He begins healing the outsiders. More crowds gather around him. 
And in verse 18, if you look at verse 18, if you have your Bible open, you'll see when Jesus saw the crowds, these large crowds beginning to follow after him, he gave orders to go across, away from the crowd to the other side of the lake. And we see he's not after crowds, he's after followers. But before they crossed over, these two applicants for Followership or discipleship came to Jesus, said, I'm, I'm up for it, I want to follow you, and they were challenged with the high cost and the high demand of following Jesus. And we spent the last two weeks looking at that. Now, in this story, the text we just heard read, we get to see what following Jesus actually looks like. When you come out of the crowd, you understand the cost, and Jesus says, follow me. We're going to the other side of the lake. What's next? Verse 23. Well, Jesus got in the boat and his disciples followed him. The clear sense here, just pausing there for a moment, is Jesus is in complete control. He's in the lead position. He knows what he's doing. He says, get in the boat, follow after me. We're going to the other side. And what happens? He leads them right into a violent storm. But he's in no way surprised. Jesus is not surprised that this happens, is he? Doesn't seem like it. He's sleeping in the boat while this violent storm is happening. It appears that this storm was a part of his plan all along. Here's the challenging truth. It's on the screen. Jesus will lead us into the storm. (laughs) You need to step back and go, why? Why would he do that? Why would Jesus lead his disciples into this violent storm? It's more bewildering, even more, when we see that this is not just any storm. Storms were a common occurrence on the Sea of Galilee. They were um, coming off the coast of Capernaum. There's mountains. Sometimes winds would rush in and the sea would get violent. But this is even more than that. The words... Um, used to describe this in the original language are seismos megas, seismic, seismos. That's where we get the word seismic, mega earthquake storm. That's what this is. This mega tsunami, the boat is being swamped by the waves. It's not just any storm. Jesus is saying, I'm leading you into this chaotic situation that is far, far beyond your ability to control. That's the storm. We also need to remember something about the disciples who are in this boat. In Matthew's gospel up until this point, we only know a few of Jesus' core followers. And what we know about them up until this point, they are all fishermen. What does that mean? That means navigating the waters of the Sea of Galilee. That was their specialty. That's what they did for a living That's where they were in complete control, where they know what to do. They had seen many storms in their lives. So on the water, in the boat, was where these men felt like they were in control. So here, right in that place where they felt most in control, Jesus leads them into a storm that is bigger than them, beyond their ability, and they're crying out. 
what we see as we see the story of Jesus unfold and his relationship with his disciples is that storms were one of Jesus' favorite teaching tools. At least twice he led his disciples out into an uncontrollable storm. So the challenging truth for us, what does it mean for us? First this, we don't follow Jesus in order to get a storm-free life. There's no such thing in this world as a storm-free life. Storms come to Christians and non-Christians, followers of Jesus, and those who don't follow him. In fact, here and other places seem to suggest that following Jesus will increase the forecast of storms in your life. Or we could say it like this. If you follow Jesus, you will be led into more situations that are beyond your control. That doesn't sound like a good advertisement for following Jesus. What's going on? Well, here, as I mentioned, these are fishermen on the sea. That was where they were in control. The storm that Jesus leads us into will often come into areas of our lives where we feel most competent, areas of our lives where we feel most experienced and capable. And this is the hardest part. Why? Does Jesus do this? I think we can say he does this to teach us that we are not in control, to cure us of the illusion of control and to empty us of pride. I've shared this before, but I've experienced what it's like um, in my life to be in the eye of a hurricane in the very strongest um, place of the storm, a Category 4, Hurricane Charlie. And when, you know, the storm, when it was at its most intense and things were blowing everywhere and the wind is rushing, the power is out, I just had to go outside and look just because I had to see, I have to see what this storm looks like. I opened up the door and it, it only lasted for like two seconds. I said, oh, no. <laughs> I'm not, I don't even want to see what's going out of there. Like the, the trees were flying all over the place. I said, I just want to, I'll just, I'll just be okay not knowing what's going on. If you've never been through a storm like that or a hurricane, if you've lived in California your whole life, maybe you've experienced one of the, um, the more powerful earthquakes, a seismic event, and you've been shaken. Your whole world has been shaken. I've experienced some of those. Now, the one thing you're thinking, whether you're in the eye of a hurricane or whether you're experiencing an earthquake, the one thing you're not thinking is, I'm in control. <laughs> I've got this. That's the one thing no one thinks in that situation. Here's a sample list of all the important things in our lives that are beyond our control. How long we live, when and where we are born. When we will die, on a lighter note, traffic, weather, if our favorite sports team wins, our personalities, our gifts, our talents, natural disasters, our relationships, we do not control them, other people, we do not control them, and even ourselves, our health, what we look like, and so much more. This is a challenging truth in our technological and information age. Most of life is beyond our control. 
Jesus says, I will make sure that you learn this if you follow me. You are not in control, but I am. Jesus leads us into the storm because without it, we resist and we fight and we deny the challenging truth of reality. We are not in control, but he does it for our good. That's a challenging truth. Right alongside this challenging truth is a comforting promise. When we're in the storm, when we're in a chaotic situation beyond our control, what happens to us? What happens to you? Well, I think it's a lot like what happened here with the disciples. The natural reaction is we freak out. All they can manage, if you look at this, all they can manage to do, they're freaking out. They can just say three words. It's just three words in the original language. Lord, save, dying. Because they're freaking out, they can't even speak a full sentence. Some of us freak out externally. We bring the storm out to others. Some of us, the storm is inside. Of course, you know, first we try to handle it, but when we're being swamped and nothing we, we can do seems to make any difference, fear overwhelms us. Have you ever felt like that? That everything you're trying, everything you know to do, everything that's worked in the past is not working. That's how Peter, John, and James felt. At first, they were probably like, just, you know, steer this way, row this way, we got this. But pretty soon, they realized, this is beyond us, and they were freaking out. If you could just take a moment right now, if, if um, I just want to ask you to do this. In, if you're taking notes and you have something to write with, I just want you to write on your um, bulletin there, my storm. Can you just write my storm? And let me ask you to, to answer this question. Where are you being swamped right now? Where are you learning you are not in control? As you're thinking about that and writing that down, we are meant in this text not only to see the challenging reality and truth, but to hear a comforting promise. It's a twofold promise. First, Jesus will be with us in the storm. Jesus was right there with them in the boat. He didn't abandon them to the storm. He was with them in it. You might say, okay, he's there, but he's sleeping. Why is he sleeping? That somehow, and that sometimes... How it feels when we're in the storm, God seems like he's sleeping on us. But the promise in this text is he's, he's there. He is with you. It's confusing at one level. Why is he sleeping? But it's also comforting at another level because Jesus is in no way uh, terrified, scared, or intimidated by this storm. There's someone with you who can sleep through a seismic storm. That's the promise. That's a comforting promise. If Jesus leads us into the storm and is with us in the storm, the second part of this promise is he will end the storm. He will calm the storm. It won't last forever. It is no match for Jesus, whatever it is. In his time, he will stand and he will rebuke the wind and the waves and the great storm will turn into a great calm. There are two reasons why Jesus chose the sea as a teaching tool. First is because it was 
his disciples' comfort zone, and he had to teach them they are not in control. But there's a second reason, and a very important reason, why Jesus chose the sea as a teaching tool. It's because of what the sea represents in Scripture throughout the entire Bible. In Genesis 1, God calms the waters of chaos, the very first verses of the Bible. He brings life into being out of the chaos of the waters. Later in Genesis, God brings the flood. Then he calms and ends the flood, promising that the storm and the sea will never destroy the world. In Exodus, God parts the Red Sea to lead his people through to deliver them. The same thing happens with the River Jordan as as his people enter in to the land of Israel. You fast forward to Revelation 21, the end goal, the final picture where everything is headed in God's plan. You have Revelation 21, a scene of the new heavens and the new earth, and it says, I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. What's the first thing John notices about the new heavens and the new earth? The sea was no more. No sea. At first you might be disappointed because you're thinking, I wanted to have oceanfront property in the new creation. Why isn't there no sea? The reason is because the sea in Scripture represents the chaos of evil. The chaos of sin and suffering that is beyond our control, beyond our ability to defeat and conquer. This is the bigger point here. Please hear this. Larger than our personal storms, Jesus has come to bring an end to the greater storm, to end all evil, all chaos, and everything that threatens us. I've included in your bulletin Matthew chapter 8, 28 through 34, if you see it there. We don't have time to read it or talk about it much, but it's a story of these two uncontrollable demoniacs. It's a crazy story. But what's, what's significant here is that these two stories, Jesus in the storm and Jesus with these demoniacs, are always included and told side by side in all the Gospels. Every indication is there that we're meant to read these together as a pair. They have a common theme, that violent, uncontrollable evil forces that we fear Jesus steps into those places and here with one word in this story, he says, go. And order is restored. Humanity is restored. Calm is restored. That's the promise in this story, in both these stories. I've appreciated a commentary by um, an author. He probably has one of the worst names for an author, a biblical scholar. His name is Eugene Boring. (laughs) Eugene Boring, I'm so sorry his name is that. But his, his commentary is not boring. He says this, a promise, there is a promise here that no form of evil disorder, political, clerical, familial, psychological, physical, can endure forever. The healing, calming, restoring word of the gospel will ultimately subdue the forces of chaos, frenzy, illness, and death. That is a comforting promise. Whatever storms come, we are never alone. He is with us, and he will, in his time, bring it to an end. Challenging truth, 
a comforting promise. And finally, the central question. The central question in this story, the question that is most important, when any kind of storm hits, when any kind of fear arises in the heart, the question that is most central is the question that ends this story in verse 27. Look at verse 27. It's what the disciples ask after everything happens. They say, what kind of man is this? Who is this? Who is sleeping in the boat like a human who gets tired and then who stands up and rebukes the sea like only God can do? Who is this? The central question here in the story is not about the storm itself. Why is the storm happening? When will it end? Those are important questions, but they're not the central question. The central question in the story is not about us. It's not about the disciples. Jesus, what do you want to teach me in this? Important question, but not the central question. The central question is, who is this? Who is Jesus? If we don't see this as the main point, the central question of this story, then Jesus' question to the disciples would be, at best, unfair, very unfair, at worst, very cruel. What does what Jesus ask the disciples in the boat? He has a question for them. He says, why are you afraid? You have little faith. <laughs> what kind of question? Why are we afraid? Look. We're being swamped. We're drowning. Look at the storm all around us. After all our years on the water, we can't handle it. We've tried everything. The point behind the question is this. It's our fear. It's the storm that causes us to discover both the object and the degree of our faith. It's our fear, it's in our fear, it's in the storm that we discover both the object and the degree of our faith. We see clearly, what am I trusting in? And how much of my trust have I put in it? Object and degree. This is what our fears show us. When money is tight, we're not sure where it's coming from. Money fears kick in, and we see, how much trust am I putting in money? Parenting fears, when we lose control, we don't have control. How much of my trust am I putting in my kids and their performance? Our own performance fears, when we fail, when we're afraid of failure, See, how much trust am I putting in my success and my performance? Jesus says, if you really knew who I was, this is the heart of his question, if you really knew who I was, you'd have great faith in me and no fear of anything, even in the storm. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't fear the storm you would fear me. We always fear the greater power. Now, if you're hiking, let me illustrate this. If you're hiking in the canyons here, I love to hike in, in the canyons, and you're all alone, 
and you're walking in the trails and you encounter a coyote. Maybe you've seen a coyote out in the trails. You'd be like, whoa, hey, buddy. You know, you might be a little bit like your heart's pumping a little bit. What's going to happen here, coyote? I think I can handle a coyote, though. But then if you're walking and there's the coyote and behind the coyote out pops a mountain lion, full-grown adult mountain lion, you'll forget all about the coyote. And you will say, what am I going to do? There's a mountain lion. Your heart will be racing and you'll be overwhelmed with fear. The greater fear drives out the lesser fear. This is the main lesson of the story. Who is this? This is the one I should fear the most. Greater fear. Drive out the lesser fears. But when we know that the one whom we should fear the most loves us, then we have nothing to fear. This is the gospel. The lion didn't come out to get us. The lion came to protect us. The lion will do anything to protect us. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Who is Jesus? Who is this? He's one who has complete control and sovereignty over everything. If we believe that, we would be terrified. The disciples would be terrified. This is the one who controls everything, who made everything, who made me sovereign over everything. That's terrifying. Who is Jesus? He is the one who loves us fully, completely. If we believe that, we won't fear anything because the lion is on my side. Not because of anything I've done, but because he first loved me. This is amazement. The disciples have an amazement. They say, who is this? Are we really in the boat with this person? Is it really okay that I'm right by his side? This is the amazement and the wonder of the gospel. Despite our very imperfect, our inconsistent and unfaithful love of God, despite our lack of fear, In awe of him, he loves us first. Because of this love, Jesus entered the greatest storm we could ever fear. The storm of what we deserve for our lack of love and our lack of fear. He entered that storm for us on the cross. He got the great storm and we get the great calm. Who is Jesus? He is all-powerful and sovereign. He is perfect in love. So we can trust him fully in anything. Final point, the difference that this can make. I said this and repeated it already. It's in the storm. Whatever you have written down on that paper, your storm, if you found something, if something came to mind, the thing that you are experiencing right now that is beyond your control, it's in the storm, it's in our fear that we discover both the object and the degree of our faith. But here's Here's some encouragement for you right here from this text. The degree or the amount of our faith does not determine Jesus' response to us. 
he says to the disciples, oh, you of little faith, that's one word, little faith, oh, you little faith. Little faith is a faith that just trusts Jesus in desperation. He's my last resort. Do you know what? Jesus receives that faith. When the disciples come and say, Lord, save, dying, he says, I will. There's great encouragement in that. He receives our little faith. But the amount of our faith, the degree of our faith, it doesn't change Jesus' response to us, but it does impact our experience in the storm, our experience of fear. The more we live with little faith, the more our lives will be storm-tossed up and down. Up and down in fear and in faith, depending on our situation. Uh, this quote for you is printed for you in the bulletin in the very front. It's a quote from the old Scottish preacher, Alexander McLaren. He says this about faith and fear. Faith, which is trust, and fear are opposite poles. If a man has the one, he can scarcely have the other in vigorous operation. He that has his trust set upon God does not need to dread anything except the weakening or the paralyzing of that trust. I think he's right. Our biggest fear should be anything that weakens our faith. And faith, our faith, is not something we just decide to have. It's not something we can drum up on our own. It's not something we can manufacture. How do we increase the degree of our faith? How can we get more faith? The answer is here in the story. Look to the object. Look to Jesus and be amazed. The one who has full and complete power over everything has a perfect and complete love for you. So we don't have to be afraid. Let's pray. Jesus, We, we have so many things that cause us to fear. Some are, are little fears, some are great, like a great storm happening in our lives that we can't control. And I pray for us, pray for those who have written something down, they're on whose heart. They've identified, it's clear to them, this is, this is the storm that's happening in their lives right now. Lord Jesus, help us to look away from the storm. Help us to look away from ourselves and help us to look to you. Our prayer is we believe, but help our unbelief. Strengthen our little faith that we might trust you with everything. We ask it in your powerful name. Amen.